0: What up, A O T A Family? Welcome to Passing Period and All the Above Podcast Extra. My name is Manuel Rustin, your favorite teacher's favorite teacher. And we just we just filmed a video version of all of the above, but it's gonna take a minute. It's gonna take a minute to edit that. That'll be coming out Next Saturday, we have a super dope guest, Anne-Marie Francois of UCLA's Center X to join us to talk about schooling for democracy. Uh, look for that next Saturday. But as you all know, it takes a while to edit those uh, super dope video episodes that have multiple headlines and great guests and shout outs and all that good stuff. So in between those video episodes, we drop these passing periods, which are audio only, exclusive for the podcast streamers. The, the YouTube folks miss, miss these, but um, here we are, Jeff a few passing periods in a row. And we use these passing periods to talk about stories that maybe didn't make it into our most recent full episodes. And Jeff, I mean, spoiler alert, there's a lot of stuff going on. It's very heavy, very, this was an incredibly challenging week on a lot of fronts. So I wanna start with some positive news. I wanna start with something happy. And Jeff, I would like to just point out that although there's great division within our nation, although there has been tremendous discord there's been tremendous strife amongst or between various groups and you know it's just it's been it's been a struggle these last several years especially we have finally found an issue that can garner the support of a very wide diverse coalition jeff i saw folks from the political left, so-called liberal type folks. I saw folks from the right, the the moderate right and the far right. I saw, you know, QAnon folks and anti-vaxxer folks agreeing with quite a few liberal folks um, on the same page as even, even the United Nations and professionals, health professionals around the world, and Nicole Hannah-Jones, a uh, creator of the 16th. Nineteen Project and, you know, Nate Silver, uh, famed, you know, uh, statistician, I don't know what you will call Nate Silver, all on the same page, this coalition, this diverse coalition, uh, a 2022 rainbow coalition, if you will, Jeff, (laughs) uh, all together on the same page. And all it took to bring all these folks together in this uh, very massive coalition was those silly teachers refusing to go back into buildings with Uh, pandemic raging, one pandemic that is increasing pediatric hospitalizations and diabetes in little kids and taking a lot of folks to the ER, teachers refusing to go back in the midst of all that. Nah, Jeff, nah, Jeff, this coalition has gathered to let us educators know, shut up, get back in that schoolhouse, stop complaining, it'll be okay. What do you think about that, Jeff? We finally have a very diverse coalition that could agree on something.
1: <laughs> we do have a beautifully diverse uh, coalition of capitalists uh, agree- agreeing on something, Manuel. Which is uh, which is exactly as you said. Shut up, educators! Uh, g- get back in your place. And um, you know, it's funny because since the the quote unquote essential workers who we all loved and respected for like a good 15 minutes at the original <laughs> outset of the pandemic. It when might nobody, have been 15 when, minutes. <laughs> when nobody could find <laughs> toilet paper, right? And you were like, yeah. oh my God, these amazing workers at the grocery store and Amazon, they're just, they're so important. We should value them more. And, and then, you know, Kroger and Walmart and these people gave them like a 15 cent an hour hazard pay bonus for like six months. Uh, And now we're just like, whatever, shut up and go back to work. And you're lazy since not enough of you want to work, apparently, uh, for for, for these poverty wages we offer you. Uh, (laughs) So in the shadow of that, we educators have have taken their place. Uh, Apparently, it's no longer in style to hate on the quote unquote essential workers who provide all your stuff, right, and provide all your services. It is now the educators that are the new, uh, you know, um, scapegoat essential workers um, where, you know, people on the one, you know, out of one side of their mouth are like, education is so important and it's the bedrock of democracy and freedom and, and this and that. And then on the other side, are like these lazy teachers, they, they don't even like kids. They just want to stay home and, yep. you know, and, and this and that. Right. Um, meanwhile, the very people pontificating about this point, Manuel, are um, quite... Uh, quite publicly holding these forums of educator bashing in their comfortable little Zoom boxes from their home studios, yep. okay, uh, <laughs> on Fox News and CNN and MSNBC and everywhere else, um, you know, enjoying their work remote safety where they don't have to wear an N95, N95 mask all day um, because they're just at home sitting in their sweatpants, Okay. Um, and, and here we are, Manuel, it we've reached the, the next phase of capitalist dystopia, right? This is like the post Newtown, post Marjorie Stoneman Douglas, uh, (laughs) version of, of capitalist schooling dystopia, where we're like, it's cool to shoot kids in school. We're not going to do anything about that. And now it's cool to conduct... What is effectively biological experimentation, <laughs> or one could argue some version of controlled biological warfare on our own children in in the context in which we know, especially in our elementary schools, Manuel, these are the least vaccinated places in America. Right. Like even even compared to the reddest of red states, even compared to Alabama, you know, West Virginia, whatever. There's a lot more vaccinated people in those states than there are vaccinated people in elementary school, okay right now and um, and we're just like, whatever we're going back and, and uh, it is it is it's a shocking on the one hand and of course like of course it is this is America this is what we do right we do profit and consumption we don't, we don't do caring for people here um, at least in any way that could be considered good. Uh, you know, or like competitive on the uh, global level, um, but yeah, we we've definitely just said, shut up, educators, go back to work. You're lazy and and um, and you know you, you need to just be quiet. The the Trump rhetoric, which which you know, two years ago was the uh, the the cure can't be worse than the disease, right? Um, some grandmas yeah. are just gonna have to die, and that's okay. Young people don't get sick from this pandemic. It's just a flu. And everyone thought, rightfully, Donald Trump's crazy and bonkers. And, and like, we can't listen to this guy. he's going to kill us all. But when Joe Biden says it when, you know, your nice liberal newscaster says it, it's apparently it's cool because um, we are now seeing the exact same rhetoric. Uh, just with better vocabulary coming from, uh, you know, certainly the majority uh, of folks in positions of power right now. Um, And, you know, I don't want to dismiss the reality that, like, there is, of course, a cost that comes with a move to virtual learning. Of course. Nobody, no educator that I have spoken to at all has said virtual learning was better than in-person school, uh, at scale, in any context, I've never heard anything even approaching that type of an argument. Um, but also, conveniently, the, the discussion is getting framed as though like we can't close school forever. Nobody's talking about closing school forever. We're talking about closing school for like two weeks after we know the whole world is getting Omicron right now, right? <laughs> like, like right. everybody's out here dodging Omicron. Infection rates are off the charts. This is the most infectious period of the pandemic to date in our country and we don't even have good testing infrastructure and we know that this is true and all the educators are saying is like maybe we should do what the universities are doing which is let's go virtual for a week or two and let everybody be infected get over their period of transmissibility before we bring everybody back together 35 at a time in a tiny classroom with no windows with dr rustin all day
0: yeah I, so we just finished our first week of full in-person learning and I've got plenty to say about it. Um, But I just want to say before even getting into that last night, as I was trying to catch up on things on Twitter, because I've largely avoided Twitter this week because I just couldn't handle it. It was just too much. I came across a tweet from, the United Nations from UNICEF, specifically from UNICEF. And the tweet reads, 2022 cannot be a third year of lost learning. Schools should be open and students should be in classrooms. It's in the best interest of children. And sort of for me, maybe that was like the, you know, proverbial straw that broke the camel's back. Like seeing even <laughs> UNICEF pile on, on teachers and say, like, get back in the building. Despite the just tremendous numbers. I mean, yesterday, L.A. County crossed 40. Uh, I think it was 43,000 positive cases. And Jeff, if we were to go back to the surge from last winter, that the most outrageous days of the most, like the highest numbers were around 16,000. Like 16,000 cases was like f- almost back to full lockdown. And here we are, 43,000 cases, 43,000. And it's like, nah, nah, we're, we're back in there. We're back in there. So for myself... My school system. Our first day back from winter break was Tuesday, and I'm trying to. I'm debating how much to even say about it because I know. Um, I don't. I don't want to blame individuals who I know didn't really have much option or much choice. Uh, so certainly, you know, for my own school site, I absolutely positively know that my administrators have done everything they could. Like for sure, this has been probably, you know that. Probably for them, uh, among the hardest weeks that they've they've ever had in terms of uh, scrambling around this, because we showed back up on Tuesday. No requirement for staff or students to get tested before showing back up um, after winter break. No requirement for staff or students to necessarily be vaccinated, although you know highly encouraged but not required. And it was pretty much we're breaking records every day for a number of cases, and we're only starting to understand how Omic- the Omicron variant actually affects young people. So, you know, all those, all those folks out there saying it's quote unquote mild. And then late last night, in the almost in the dark of the night, the CDC, you know, uh, shares its report about how uh, diabetes, the risk of diabetes goes way up in children who have been infected with Omicron. It's like, wait, where, where did that come from? Um, so yeah, in the midst of us still trying to even understand what this disease actually does to folks, it's like, Boom, back in the schoolhouse, no required testing, no required vaccinations, just everybody show up and we'll power through it. And this week has been a challenge, man. We have been, I guess, powering through it. I've covered so many classes because staff were out, um, some out for uh, positively, uh, po- possibly uh, being positive, some out for other reasons. And we already had a sub shortage well before this latest surge and, students, it's like the first day my my classes were, you know, relatively not full, but like, you know, I, I had maybe like 15, 20% of students out on that Tuesday, but then each day it grew and grew and grew. And I was getting phone calls in the middle of class, like sent so-and-so with all their stuff. And it's, you know, contact tracing and this and that, whatever. And by Friday, yesterday, well over a third of my students were, were absent. I wanna say like in certain periods, it was closer to half. In my, the first period of the day yesterday, uh, I, I have something like 30 students in that class and you know, class started and we had like six kids there. And as the period went on, a few trickled in, but it was like, I could not teach the, the, the lesson. I just, I could not, because it was like well over the majority of folks were not there. And it's just been brutal. It has been brutal. So to lay down at night and try to just catch up on, okay, what are folks talking about? And to see the UN say, it can't be a year of lost learning. Schools should be open. And it's like, we're not we're not talking about going back to remote instruction for the rest of the school year or closing schools or any of that stuff. We educators are pointing out that it is in many places, in many schools, in many districts, like just impossible to staff the schools at a level that is both safe and like actually contributes to learning uh, for students. And at the same time, so many areas do not have the, the mitigations needed to ensure the safety of these teachers. Like, okay, you're gonna keep these schools open and who is going to be teaching these students? Because you are essentially saying like, us teachers are virtually expendable and we're just gonna throw y'all back in there. In some some schools, there's like no ventilation, no filters, no nothing. And we're just going to throw you all back in there, and you better just deal with it. And it's like, okay, so what's your long-term plan when you don't have enough teachers left then? Because you are acting as if we are just uh, there's just an endless source, endless supply of teachers, and we'll always be there. It's like you might be running, you might be running huge segments of us out of the classroom, and what are you going to do then with your quote unquote open schools? It's just very, very. It's just, I feel for all the other teachers out there. I was in all these different classes with so many students in there, so many students that I could look at and just know, like, you don't look right. Like, I hear you coughing under your mask. I see your glazy eyes. Like, you don't look right. Yet, there's no testing requirement for everybody. So it's not like I'm gonna write up a kid and say, you gotta go get tested. It's just like, we're just out here. We're swimming in it. It's all over the place. And I don't even know who... Like, specifically to be mad at, like in my own context, because I know, you know, it's not on my administrators. I don't even fully understand, like, what powers the school board or our superintendent have to, like, have extended our winter break and, and go remote. Because I, d- I don't know, like, maybe their hands are tied based on state legislation and funding. Like, I don't know how easy it is for a school district just to say, like, okay, fine, we're just not gonna come back to school yet until this. like. I gotta believe it's it's not as easy as as I as a classroom teacher might believe it to be. So it's just so frustrating. And I just feel for all the teachers out there that are even are in even worse shape. Like I have a air purifier, fire, I have windows. The weather was was fine this week, windows all the way fully open, like there's plenty of ventilation, there's all this stuff. I you know I did receive masks from my administrators, but a lot of teachers they can't say the same for all that. So shout out to those teachers, those areas that are Refusing to go in, and, and especially Chicago, uh, shout out to them for refusing to be part of this, man, because this stuff is dangerous, man. We don't even know what the full effects are. If it increases the risk of diabetes in kids, what are we going to find out like three, four, five, six months from now from studies? You know, we're just assuming, we just society is just assuming this this really is so called mild and not that big of a deal. It's like, wait, hold up. I don't know what you're, I, yeah. I don't know what assumptions you're making, but this is, uh, this ain't added up, man. Yeah, it is.
1: Uh, it's incredibly reckless from my perspective, what what we're doing right now, Manuel. And it is, I, I would say we are witnessing the like there's part of me that wants to say what we're witnessing is just the deep cowardice of our political leadership, um, because it is on the one hand, cowardice in the face of the corporate pressures that elected officials in this country bow to and and actually are accountable to. And we're just seeing like nakedly right now that that's what's happening, right? Like folks want the parents to work. And that's so we got to have the schools open, right? There's not there's not anything more fancy or nuanced. This is all dressed up in the rhetoric of like, what about the learning loss? And we care about the poor black and brown kids. Skip me with it. I'm not even here for a little bit of it. There may be some individual actors in the equation here who actually hold that in their heart. That's not at all why the policies that we're seeing are what they are right now. So that's, that's like on the one hand. And then the other hand, and this is where I do have some empathy for political leaders, is that because of the fact that um, parents don't have any safety net, right? If the school's closed and you have to stay home with your younger kids and you don't have a close family member or some kind of uh, childcare safety net you can fall back on that is affordable to you, then you're screwed, right? Then you have to call out for work which means if you're, especially if you're not like a salaried, you know, employee who doesn't have like paid time off, you risk both losing wages and also losing your job, right? Um, And so or you have to do something incredibly high risk, like leave your young kids at home alone all day. Right. And, you know, and then and then somebody calls the cops on you and you're you know, you got a neglect case or something. Right. Like these are the difficult situations we're putting families in. So, of course, families are going to pressure politicians to say, hey, the school's got to be open because I got to work because how else are we going to survive? So we've created the situation where people can't survive. So they have to. Rely on school to watch their kids all day. So the schools have to stay open, regardless of the fact that any objective look at what is happening right now with COVID would say that, like, this is a high risk policy. We are gambling with the lives and well being of our children. And even though children uh, tend to suffer the worst consequences of COVID 19. At a much lower rate than the adults, the 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 only person in mainstream media, uh, well, this week I heard saying anything even remotely commonsensical about this was a uh, was Mehdi Hassan, who had this uh, who's on MSNBC and had this clip from I think it was uh, Dr. Walensky from the whichever one at the CDC or whichever one of the big, uh, you know, national institutes of health, I forget where she's at. Uh, But she was testifying before Congress, I believe, uh, and said like, yes, even though, you know, there's far less death from COVID-19 among children. And this was the key thing. Children aren't supposed to die. (laughs) Like they're supposed to live, right? Like older people are supposed to, I mean, I don't mean to be, crude to us right but like we're supposed to get heart attacks and cancer and stuff right it's sad it's 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 all of that but like it happens to people as they get older it's not supposed to happen to kids so the so the fact that we are seeing death hospitalization long COVID, which is the, you know, the part of this that's going totally ignored. Um, You know, you just alluded to it around the potential complications for COVID triggering diabetes in kids, but also there's there's something like, depending on the source you look at now, somewhere between like 15 and 20% of even kids who get COVID experience long COVID symptoms, right? So six months out at least are still experiencing Respiratory problems, you know, uh, weird, you know, nervous system issues, organ issues, you know, all these kinds of things. Brain fog kind of stuff. Right. And we are just at the tip of the iceberg on that right now. We don't know how long these symptoms are going to last for for folks. We don't know if new symptoms might develop for other uh, people who have been exposed. Um, So it's it's just I felt this whole week, man. Well, like I was a crazy person. Like, I'm like, am I the only one who's like, this is completely insane what we are doing for no reason? Nobody's saying close the schools forever, but like, at least a week or two until everybody's over the COVID that everybody just got to. (laughs) Like, why are we doing this? We don't need to do this. Like, this is nuts. We're the wealthiest country in the world. We can do whatever the hell we want to and care for people. And we are just like, no, these lazy teachers are are the problem. And it is, you know, it sort of reminds me, Manuel, of like the way our society works where you know, we convince all these people that it's like immigrants coming to take your job. And you're like, dude, just look around. Like, it's not, that's not what's happening. <laughs> it's like, like, it's freaking billionaires who are taking your your money. It's not the immigrants. The immigrants are picking lettuce in the field and like sweeping floors, dude. They're not coming to take your job. They're trying to survive. Like, open your eyes. And I feel like this is, the, this is like some societal equivalent of that where I'm like, dude, it's not the teachers who are like trying to ruin your life. Like it is the, the idea that you can't take off time of work in a pandemic and not like be destitute. That's the yeah. problem, not the teachers. <laughs> like-
0: Absolutely. And it's especially disheartening when you realize that these Like the just the recklessness that you mentioned is coming from all angles. Like, like I said at the top of this, this is a really broad, diverse coalition of folks who are all blaming the teachers and making it seem like keeping kids remote for a week or two while we do some testing, while we get everything in place, while we come up with a plan is like the worst thing ever. And to hear, you know, I think probably the worst take that I've seen. In I don't know how long um, was from Nate Silver who who was going back and forth with uh, Clara Jeffrey and and you know he he was he was focused on just how how impactful how negatively impactful remote learning was uh, last year during this pandemic this and that and um, somewhere in the conversation it got he conflated it with being as bad as the catastrophe that was the invasion of Iraq. And, you know, Clara Jeffrey asked him, like, you think this policy decision, which, you know, here we are in um, in a sense of like trying to save lives from this. Freaking rat virus that has been ravaging us is equivalent to the deaths of 460,000 people and the destabilization de- de- of an entire region. And he's like, "Yeah, I think this is up there on that same level." I'm like, "How in the, where? How did we end up here? Where trying to keep kids and their families and their households from contracting this virus that has killed almost one million Americans at this point? Almost one million people have died from this." How are our efforts to try to slow that spread or try to mitigate it being conflated with being as bad as the war in Iraq, like keeping kids at home because they're sad and mental health challenges and this and that. It's like, okay, what if their mental health challenges that they're dealing with aren't because they're watching their teacher on Zoom, but they're because they are living at a time where we are having experiencing this global catastrophe of a pandemic with lives being lost all over the place, our capital insurrection, which we just... Past the one year anniversary of, and just all the all the challenges that are happening, like you're me being a teacher on Zoom is what's causing the mental health challenges that uh, young people are experiencing. And one more week of that, or two more weeks of that, are going to like be the end of it. Like, get out of here with conflating us trying to be safe for ourselves, us teachers for ourselves and our families, and trying to also not spread the disease to our students who have. Newborns at home or grandparents at home, like we are the enemy here. Like it's just, um, it's very like I would expect that from the you know very wild far right stretches of the political landscape and you know anti vaxxers and all that stuff. But to hear it from like day to day folks who are very much on just mainstream TV, to see the CDC you know just totally go back on their 10 day isolation policy and just. Call it a five-day and you don't even have to test negative to come back. Just to see all these things happen all at once. It is incredibly reckless, as you said, Jeff. And I listened back to our most uh, recent passing period, which was way back, like, right after Christmas where we recorded one. And, you know, this pandemic has really ballooned since then. This Omicron has, I think, turned out to be more contagious than almost anybody thought it would be. And during that passing period, we're like, look, like we don't know what the best answer is, but things aren't looking very good. And just in those two weeks, like, this thing ballooned way out of control and I just don't understand why school systems can't just call it timeout and just let's figure this thing out. Like I wish, like I wish I would get the email from my school or from my district that says, you know what, next week we're gonna have students just stay at home. Uh, staff, you are welcome to come into your classroom and put together. You know your your plans for uh, students who do arrive in person. Once we're able to test everybody and the students who have to stay home, put together those lessons, those whatever. Because now, at least during remote learning, you knew everybody was was at home, so your lesson plan was tailored to delivering it. You know, to folks who are at home and posting stuff online. And now it's like, well. I'm crafting my lesson plan for this in person folk, these in person folks. I'm not recording myself a full lecture for the at home folks. If I want to do that, I need time. I need something like call time out and let's just figure it out. I covered a, a chemistry class this week, I covered a math class this week. Like, I'm not even getting my own prep time to do my regular stuff, let alone figure out what to do with the third to a half of students who aren't present. Man, just call time out. Like, I'm just waiting for that email, like, yo, time out. Okay this is a mess. Let's take some time. Let's get our stuff together. Let students stay home for a week or two. Stay safe. Let's test them, all that. And let's figure ourselves out. But I guess that's just as bad as the war in Iraq, according to Nate Silver and other folks.
1: Yeah, it's funny you you say that because I hadn't actually seen uh, that Nate Silver conversation. That is is mind-bogglingly stupid uh, comparison. He he says literally, quote,
0: he says, quote, this is absolutely on that magnitude end quote that's what like, like absolutely is, <laughs> people sometimes man. people
1: just need to calm down <laughs> like yes i'm gonna I'm, yes. like i you know i'm not i don't have a particularly strong opinion about nate silver one way or the other i'm gonna I, maybe i'll give him a mulligan on that one and just be like bro man take a deep breath rethink that because there's just that's that's bananas uh Especially when I just, I just pulled up the, uh, the map, okay, the, uh, the COVID data. Uh, today is January 8th, okay? We have uh, one year ago today, Manuel, Los Angeles was essentially the epicenter of the pandemic. And nationally, we had 840,000 new cases reported on January 8th. And we thought the world was coming to an end. Effectively, right? Like, we thought the yeah. hospitals are being overrun, like, this is crazy. Okay, 840,000 today, January 8th. Okay, um, or oh, I guess we don't have the data for today, but let's look at yesterday, January 7th 2.87 million new cases. Okay, <laughs> that is that's wild, man. Yeah, yeah. So, we're talking approaching four times, like, three and a half times. And the curve is still going up. Like, when you look at this.
0: Yeah, we ain't at the peak of it yet.
1: Yeah, yeah, we're not at the peak yet. Right. Or at least we don't have reason to believe we're at the peak yet. There's literally no indication from the data to us right now that, like, it's a good call to just drop everything and reopen school. And what well, we have to keep in mind, there's parts of the country where they don't even allow masking. Right. There's no yep. not only is there no mask mandate, there is a prevention of mask mandates. Okay, so we have schools that are literally with a with a virus now that is, uh, you know, they're saying it's like, essentially as transmissible as something like measles, where if you're in the room with someone who has it, and you're unprotected, especially if you're unvaccinated, you're going to contract it, right? So we are just setting up COVID super spreader events in schools in many cases, okay, that's certainly not necessarily true everywhere where there is masking and vaccination and other things but we're at least risking it all over yeah right and you know man well this is to me where the kind of other side of the coin of like what makes me feel like I'm crazy comes up because people say we have to do this because of the learning loss. What about the learning loss, right? Oh, that you know, there's so much learning loss. And um, this week there was a, a piece that came out in um, LA School Report. Um, it was a, uh, the title is long, it's the analysis. Pandemic learning loss could cost U.S. students $2 trillion in lifetime earnings. What states and schools can do to avert this crisis, okay? It was written by Dan um, Goldhaber, Thomas Kane, and Andrew McEachin. I hope I'm pronouncing all the names correctly. Um, and, uh, you know, they cite some of this, you know, very shocking uh, headline grabbing data, right, that, you um, the learning loss that kids have experienced right now is so profound, right? They say um, that we have seen a nine to 11 percentile point decline in math achievement um, for for kids in America, okay? Um, In both math and reading over the time of the pandemic and that that could result um, in $43,800 $43,800 loss in expected lifetimes earnings. Now spread that across the 50 million public school students currently enrolled in grades K, in grades K- to 12. That would be over $2 trillion, about 10 times more than the $200 billion Congress set aside last year to help schools respond to that.
0: the dumbest thing I've heard. That thing it, is oh, terrible ahead, math sorry.
1: and social science here, okay? <laughs> like, like there's so many layers of like, bruh. Like for real, this is this is bad. This is like this is George W. Bush. Funny, it's funny, Washington man. <laughs> okay, like
0: absolutely. <laughs> like you're, they're looking at like folks who are already in the workforce versus like the current, you know, whatever test scores achievement of of young kids and equating them the same as if like conditions or or the context of the economy and technology and all that stuff is all context and just like conflating that with like let's spread that across you know all these school years, this, that, whatever. There's two trillion dollars. Like this isn't even like a apples to oranges type this is like apples to freaking basketballs or something like this is just tremendous to conflate (laughs) conflate these you know this temporary uh drop in in learning so-called because of the pandemic to like lifetime earnings and all that stuff it's like how how about we actually focus on the actual like workforce in terms of like the current companies and corporations and all that stuff and do something about that to To where they actually support this population versus like, oh, this population ain't gonna be ready for, you know, corporate world. Man, F the corporate world right now, man. We're trying to save lives, man. We're trying to save lives. Like, this is not about us conforming to, you know, the modern day workforce. This is about us trying to prevent the unnecessary deaths of even more people, even more Americans. And in doing so, we could absolutely focus on supporting students and their families versus like, Oh, you're gonna be broke when you grow up because you missed this much uh, instruction. And based on how, you know, folks' lifetime earnings and this and that, ooh, $2 trillion. Ooh, ooh, like this is the dumbest thing I've heard, man.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's terrible. Second dumbest. On a lot of I, levels. I, would, I
0: would still put the Iraq stuff. Yeah, oh, the dumbest thing I heard this week. This is like second. It's
1: maybe not quite Nate Silver uh, bananas, <laughs> yeah. but it's like it's it's second bananas. Uh, yeah. Yes. So yeah, I, you you hit it right on the head there, man. Like this is it's terrible use of social science data. This this is like actually this article would make a great like artifact to use in a cl- in a class on like let's critique the use of this of this data here right and also these folks know what they're doing right because they oh, yeah. are they're making this alarmist claim using data that is by any even light bit of scrutiny highly suspect to use in the way that they're using and then couching it also in the like, oh, but we're, we're so concerned about the long term effect of these students and like, oh, and then also schools we're placing this this huge burden on schools. And so, we, you know, we have to do more for schools. Right. Um, and, and I, it, you know, to me, it just rings entirely as as disingenuous. Right. They're like, first of all, I don't believe. 90% of the folks out here talking about learning loss. I'm like, you don't care about learning loss because if you cared about learning loss, you would support an, a policy agenda that's actually about addressing root cause issues of learning loss, which is poverty, which is racism, which is healthcare, which is employment, which is housing, which is, you know, our economic system that preys upon certain people and privileges others. And you're, you know, you don't support that agenda. <laughs> You might have a nice Black Lives Matter sign in front of your house, but you don't support that agenda. You're not trying to share power. You're not trying to, you know, let other kids go to your kid's school. You just like, you know, voting liberal or whatever. So I'm not I'm not here to give these folks, you know, any kind of kudos for for this like performative wokeness, Um, you know. But it is this is a very insidious argument, right, that also combined with folks. Uh, manipulation of what educators are actually saying in some places right now, which is not let's close school forever, but is let's do virtual school to keep people safe, educators as workers and kids, our most vulnerable, most unvaccinated population for the next week or two until this curve that is the highest we've ever seen at least flattens, right? <laughs> and hopefully starts, starts coming down. And let's have in place the mitigation measures, N95 masking, testing, vaccination. Let's have mo- like massive investments, right? Like really what we should be doing with school? We want school open? Okay, here's what we got to do to make school safe. Test everyone every day. We have rapid testing. We should test all the adults and all the kids. In fact, I'll even cut you some slack. Let's do it every other day. So Monday, Wednesday, Friday, right? You come to school on Monday, you got to test nope. negative. Wednesday, you got to test negative. Friday, you got to test negative, right? They ain't every gonna do person it. who comes in and out of school, the first 10 minutes of the school day is doing your rapid test, right? Um, like, we could do that.
0: We could do that. We're not,
1: right? We're not.
0: Because nope. and, and, if you, you do know, that... I'm so- sorry to cut you off there, but if no, you go do that, ahead. then you're gonna, you're gonna see just how many staff members can't be on campus, and then you're gonna not be able to open campus at all. So instead, you, when I say you, many districts out there, perhaps mine, um, you make testing voluntary, and also you uh, remind folks that, oh, if you do have to quarantine, classroom teacher. Um, that's going to come out of your own personal sick leave, of which we get, you know, what? what is it? We get 10, 10 days a year. I think six that could be for uh, sick days. And, you know, quarantine is going to be at least five, I guess, maybe more. So yeah, you uh, disincentivize testing at all so that you could have enough adults in the building to cover these classes. So Jeff, yeah, that test every day or every other day, they won't do that because that'll almost instantly close everything down.
1: And this, this Manuel is literally what Donald Trump said uh, two years ago, right? Or maybe even more recently than that. Literally. You remember when this fool got up and I said, if, if we didn't do so much testing, we wouldn't have so many cases. You can't, you do the testing, you have the cases. And everybody laughed and everybody was like, he's a buffoon. I can't wait until yeah. he's gone. This dude is trying to kill us all. Rightfully critiqued him and his crazy self for talking that way. Now we have what happening all over the country, that exact policy with nice articulate uh <laughs> people who actually paid attention in school writing the p r release about it right uh, yeah. but that is the policy. let's stick our head in the sand, let's not do all the testing because if we do the testing, right everyone from the n f l and the n b a to school systems are now doing the Trump policy and getting and patting each other on the back for for eliminating learning loss and, and being woke or whatever, right? Like this is the world we're living in. And it's like, it's literally driving me insane. Well, look, like I, yeah. I feel like I'm losing my mind at this point.
0: And you are not the only one. I, I think a lot of folks who are listening, especially those of you who might be listening right now who are classroom teachers or administrators, or I mean, just work on a school campus at all or around school campuses, um, probably similarly frustrated. And it's just, um, I don't know. It's just, I... This all ballooned out of control so quickly and just, just, ah, it's just, I, clearly I don't have the words for it. I do want to say for those of you who are classroom teachers who did your best over winter break to avoid large gatherings, as we were told, avoid large gatherings. And now here we are in classrooms of, you know, dozens of kids in and out um, from so many different uh, households all together, all mixing, and then you got to move to cover some other class because that teacher's not there. And then, you know, all that stuff. Um, yeah, all I got to say is if, if you're fortunate enough to have an air purifier in your classroom, may that continue to filter the air uh, to the extent possible. I, I hope that if you are fortunate enough to have windows that can open for your classroom, may the weather cooperate to allow you to have those windows wide open throughout the school day. Those of you who are teaching in person, um, who are lucky enough to have N95 masks that you probably had to pay for yourself. May your vocal cords remain strong enough to teach and elevate your voice through those masks or through the double masks, which is what I'm doing uh, currently. May your vocal cords cooperate as you try to do the impossible and teach in the midst of this pandemic. If you are an administrator who's out there scrambling, doing all the contact tracing, contacting families, trying to figure out who's vaccinated, who's not, and all that's happening all at once, may you continue to Um, succeed in your your juggling and your multitasking as you try your best to do your part in something that you never, ever, ever envisioned you'd be having to do when you were back there getting your uh, certification to be a school administrator (laughs) and when you thought you'd be leading instruction and things like that. Um, May you (laughs) continue to be able to juggle successfully all these things all at once. And if you are um, a member of a household that has school-aged children who are having to go in because of of whatever dynamics exist in your space. May those children continue to hopefully duck and dodge Omicron and not bring it back home and not impact grandma or the newborn in the family or anything like that. And it just seems like we are on our own. That's been said by many people. It's truly how I feel. We are on our own in this. And I guess may, may the odds... Be ever in your favor, <laughs> Jeff. That's that's what I got, man. That's that is oh. where we are at. We will see who's around at the end of this school year, man.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, well said, well said, Doctor Rustin. And um, I guess I would just say in closing to our, our wonderful, amazing, inspiring community of all the above uh, listeners and viewers. Uh, you know, keep your head up. Uh, we, we're gonna we're gonna be here. OK, uh, one way or another. Um, we are we are backed, boosted, masked and uh, <laughs> ready to go. And, um, you know, what we have in this moment is each other uh, to to rely on and uh, find some community with. So uh, we're here. We'll be back again next week and uh, stay safe out there, folks. Please, please take care of yourselves.
0: Indeed. And as much as I would like to say that it is time for you to you know, stay home and stay safe. I know that uh, in too many areas of the nation, you do have to go ahead and get to class.